you know that Keeley Companies is all about fostering the world-class culture through their incredible cultural pillars. Well, it was time to add a seventh cultural pillar, Keeley Green. Guided by the mission to raise the sustainability standards by which they design, build, operate, and live, Keeley Green is dedicated to using a holistic approach to leave a positive impact on our environment, create a future that is sustainable for generations to come. In the words of Rusty Keeley, we are just getting started. You can learn more about that just getting started mentality and all the work they do by visiting my friends at Keeley Companies online at KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. You've heard me say it frequently in the past that we all have a story, and it's usually not the story we share with the world. Well, today's guest is going to remind us how incredibly powerful each of our stories are, the impact our stories can have on others, and how by authentically listening to others, we can reach our, and they can also reach their, greatest potential. Jay Phantom is a passionate presenter. He's an award-winning filmmaker and a writer who strives to be the best, authentic, honest, loving, kind, and excellent version of himself each and every day. As the host of the top-rated podcast, The Story Box, Jay calls upon his vulnerability to unbox the stories of world-class thought leaders. Today on this podcast, Jay's going to share how he learned to embrace the past with truth, with courage, and with sincerity, and how he's helping others today find their worth. My friends, you are going to love this conversation. It's going to remind you how valuable and precious life is, and it's going to challenge you to encourage others to live it fully going forward. So once you do me a favor, join me right now in welcoming our newest friend, this guy, from all the way down in Australia joining us today. His name is Jay Phantom. Jay, my brother, mate, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. John, thank you so much, my friend, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and, and serve your community. It is cool to connect. I, I read the book. I loved it. I also have listened to 436 of your podcasts, so I feel like I, I've heard your voice so frequently, but to hear it <laughs> live on my show, uh, it is cool, man. I feel like I'm doing life right now with a friend. For, for those who haven't read the book or haven't checked out your podcast or don't follow you online, when you meet someone for the first time and they say, hey, uh, Jay, tell me about you, mate. How do you respond to that? How, how do you respond? What do you do? Well, I love saying to people, what do you want to know? Like there's a whole range of things that I, I can share. And I, I just love conversations as well. I love answering people's questions. I love asking questions. I'm a very curious minded individual. But if you want to learn how I grew up, uh, average sort of working class home, my my parents, uh, they raised me with good values as well. I was brought up in a conservative Christian home too. Uh, my dad had to work two to three jobs at times just to put food on the table. Uh, but in saying that, I never really went without. Like my parents worked really, really hard 
uh, to give me the essential things. And that's pretty much what I, I, all I needed. And, and they also taught me right from wrong. And, you know, growing up in a conservative Christian home, the outside world to the non-Christian world, some might think that might be controlling it's over the top, that sort of thing. But I never, I never missed out on anything is what I say. Like I, had a hard work ethic, which also came from my grandparents and my, my grandfather taught me the value of excellence, uh, having good character, valuing your integrity, those sorts of things. And then also my mom used to read to us all the time. And I, I fell in love with stories, which has informed a lot of my life to this day. And part of what I do with the story box, part of what I do with, with my own stories is, is sharing this concept of valuable stories that each and every one of us do have to help one another really come to the terms of we are, we are worth it. Our story really does matter. And there is power in each and every one of our stories. So yes, I am also young. Uh, it might surprise your audience that I am, I'm still 26, uh, but I've lived quite a, quite a, an amazing life at the same time. So I'm hearing a bit of an accent. It sounds like it might be Louisiana here up in the States, but maybe, maybe I'm mistaken it. So tell us where you're from and what was the, even the geography of your area like growing up? So I was born and raised in Sydney, Australia, the suburb of Westmead. We moved around quite a bit just recently moving from Sydney, Australia to good old Queensland in the, in the sunny coast. You live in paradise. It is such a cool place. And and where you live, Jay, it's from the crop, man. It's a phenomenal place. I, I, I'm curious, though. You were a very curious kid. You're right. And you also share that you spent a lot of your time with adults. Mm. You know, most kids spend time with their peers. Why were you spending time with adults? Get on well with kids my own age. And I think it's because I was different. And I understood that I was different. I loved learning and I felt like I wasn't really learning too much from kids my own age. So I would go and pester adults. Like I go and hang around them and, and ask them these weird and wild and outrageous questions. And some of, some of which they had to tell me to go away because I, I annoyed the living daylights out of them. But I also used to go uh, to my grandfather and, and have these conversations with my grandfather too. And, and he loved it. Like we, we used to go for drive sometimes and I used to sit in his office, sit on his, sit on his knee and, and just go back and forth with my grandfather about, you know, the meaning of life, about business, about relationships, about all these things that not a lot of young people tend to do at that age, like being five, six years old and, and just being quite aware of my surroundings in life and, and wanting to know things like always asking my mom about, you know, why do people believe in the Easter bunny? Like, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. Why do people believe in Santa and Santa's not real, you know, and all these things just sort of like captivated my attention growing up. And so I wanted to learn, which is also funny because in school, I wasn't great at learning math, science or anything like that. But I love the creative writing part of English because it allowed my brain to just run wild with all yep. these thoughts and imaginations. And I'd take it to adults later on and they'd just be like, who is this kid? <laughs> so to speak, like he's got a vivid imagination right. and, and I'm grateful that a lot of them, they, they fostered that in me and they encouraged it. They didn't damper that. And so I say to 
curiosity is not a bad thing. Like if you are curious, continue to be curious, continue to ask questions because as my grandfather used to say so wisely, if you don't ask, you don't get, you'll never know. So don't be afraid to ask. And that was sort of my, my childhood, man. And, and still, even to this day, when I'm an adult, like I'm forever going to be curious and I love it. <laughs> you wrote a lot about your grandfather. You speak a lot about your grandfather. You just said a moment ago about your grandfather that you would talk about the meaning of life. And you'd ask him, so what is the meaning of life? And I realized it's been a while since you were that little kid up on his lap, but there's such beauty and wisdom in how our grandparents speak so succinctly. Like they crystallize really complicated type of ideas into a sentence or two. From what you remember, what, what would your grandfather say the meaning of life is? My grandfather was a hardworking man and he put a lot of attention into his family and to what he did. I mean, he did a three-year managerial course in 12 months, I believe it is, and then suffered a heart attack at the end of it. So his, his whole philosophy was, if you do a job, do it with an excellent attitude and excellent spirit. He was very dedicated to whatever he put his mind to. And I think the meaning of life for him, if, if I can remember directly, it, it's when you are going through life, always give your best. Don't give it second hearted thoughts or anything like that. Be excellent. And then he also had this, there's a story that I remember. I was not blessed with building anything with my hands or, any, or, or anything like that. I was given to my two brothers, but he tried to teach me anyway. And I was in uh, the garage where he had this massive workbench and, and he was, he was very good with his hands. So he tried to teach me how to make something with wood. I was complaining. I didn't want to be there. I wanted to go and sit on the couch, watch Cartoon Network, drink pub squash is an Australian beverage. And I, I just wanted to zone out a little bit. And I said to him, Grandy, can we, can we just do this tomorrow? That's when he taught me one of the most valuable lessons in life which is he puts his he puts his instruments down he looks at me and he goes don't put off for tomorrow what can be done today if you are going to continue to put things off for tomorrow then nothing is going to ever get done and you're just going to be creating this attitude and habit of laziness and for me going through life and trying to find meaning in life i i realized that when i when i look at anything in my life procrastination is not going to get me anywhere it's not right. going to give me any, any such meaning whatsoever, any good meaning that is. So I've never been great at procrastination because of that. Every single time I have gone to procrastinate, my granny's words and that story comes up in my mind, which then just informs like this whole other element to uh, what life is all about, treating people right, being right. excellent and having the, this never give up mentality even if you you say you're going to do something be a man of your word be someone of integrity so all these things that count for what life is really about my grandfather wasn't wasn't a christian until the seven months until he sadly passed away uh, but he had those characteristics within him which is interesting in of itself because even though he didn't believe he had those conservative i guess values in that respect uh that you know, we, we class as meaningful to life. <laughs> so Jay, that's what I would say, my friend. For It's a beautiful answer. For those uh, who are a bit unlike you, because you're the kind of guy who, when you want to get something done, you just do it and you stay at it till it's done. Many of our listeners, and maybe even the guy asking the question struggle a little bit with procrastination. 
So for those of us who, who do struggle with that, and we sometimes do put off until tomorrow, what we could have done today, what's some advice you might give us on getting the thing done now? In, in my own life, regarding the things that, you know, I, I may have put off for the next day, I think there are certain things that you, you need to put off. Uh, you can't, you can't do everything all in one day. Mm-hmm. And, and so don't overextend yourself too much. Uh, I think just be kind to yourself at the same time is what I've learned. And even though like in that moment with my grandfather, for example, we had something that we, we, he wanted to teach me. And I think the lesson was profound. He didn't want to wait until tomorrow or whatever. So he's like, if you have time right now to do it, he yeah. said, basically get it done as best you possibly can. If you are tired or you're weary, don't overextend yourself because then the job isn't going to be done excellently, is it? It's going to it's gonna be half-hearted. And, and he always made sure for me, a job wasn't done half in halves. Like he, he didn't like it. And we're just going to also have a, a bad attitude about it as well. So I would say if you have something that you want to do, but you're not feeling it, you're too tired, or then it's okay to put it off for tomorrow. As long as a job eventually gets done, and as long as you prioritize that it will get done at some point, then I think that's that's okay as well. For me, procrastination, for example, a book, I know that takes a long time, but if if I am writing something down every single day, then I feel good about it. Like I have made that commitment to myself to do at least one thing regarding the book. And then it's just like this, this every single day reoccurrence. We were talking about this earlier, even before we started recording that in a relatively young life, you've lived quite a life. You've achieved quite a bit, but you've also been through quite a bit. Many of our listeners have experienced hardship and some of them have had near death experiences. You've had four. And although I don't want to unpack all four today, I think the two most recent are also the two most relevant to many of our listeners. So let's go back in time just a little bit and talk about the third one, Jay, which was meningitis. The first question Mm -hmm. is, when did you realize that you had something worse than a typical flu or a typical illness? Well, it started out as just a normal day. So I, I woke up with a slight headache. I thought nothing of it. So I went for my my long run and did my CrossFit workout. I was in absolute agony by that stage, but I just like, I have this attitude of pushing through it, uh, push through the pain. You'll be right. This sort of, she'll be right. Attitude of the Aussie culture. <laughs> um, and I got home and, you know, I did my chores, cook, cook the dinner for the family. But by one or, or, or 2 PM that afternoon, I was like flat on my back. My, my head was just absolutely pounding. I was struggling to actually see. I lay down on the couch just to try and alleviate a little bit of the pain. I slept for about half an hour or something like that and then transitioned into my bedroom. And by that stage, I was vision impaired, like opening my eyes hurt like nothing else. And my mom comes home at 4 p.m. and she's like, Jay's in, in bed, like this is not normal. And she decided to take me down to the, the local doctor's office. So we get there, the doctor comes in and, and I share my symptoms. And she basically says, you have all the signs and symptoms of meningitis. And the doctor explained, I think that there was, there's two types of meningitis. There's type A and there's type B. So there's the viral one, which is type B. And there's the bacterial one, which then can lead to the meningococcal, which is not the best scenario. So 
basically meningitis is swelling of the the brain lining and it, it's not not a good thing at all like i didn't even know how i contracted it at all it was very interesting why i actually had it in the first place because i was a healthy young man i just think my immune system at the time was was running low i was working in after school care at the time too so working with kids dirty mats you just don't know where you're going to contract it but um alas i did and so the doctor said, do you want me to call an ambulance or you can drive him to the nearest hospital? It was probably quicker to, uh, for my mum to actually take me to the hospital. So we go to the hospital anyway. To cut a long story short, I ended up in uh, emergency sitting in a chair because I didn't have any beds available and I couldn't see. Like I'm just there with my thoughts. The triage doctor, he basically said, in order to tell whether or not I have type A or type B meningitis, which will then mean we know how to treat you. We have to do what they call a lumbar puncture, which basically means they stick a long needle in your spine to drain your spinal fluid. When the, the moment he said long needle in the back of my spine, I immediately was like, no way. Is there anything else that we can do? Because what else happens with sticking the long needle in your back? They only give you a, a local anesthetic in another needle, but that, that first needle has still got to go in through your muscle in and it only goes halfway. It doesn't go all the way. So you feel everything else after that. So it's an incredibly painful process. Uh, and then I didn't tell you the best part. There's a 50, 50% chance that it's going to be a success or not, according to this doctor. And when he said that to me, I'm like, definitely no. <laughs> I, I'm not a betting man, but I do not like those odds at all. And I was, I was sitting there in my chair and he said, I, I need you to think about it. So here I am, I'm thinking about it. And I talk about it in the book too, that I was wrestling with this voice who I believe was God in my head, who kept telling me, do you trust me? Do you trust me? I'm like, oh, of course I trust you. Why wouldn't I? But did I really trust him? And the last thing that voice said to me was, do you trust me? And I, then it left. And then eventually I relented. It took hours for me to relent. I'm like, fine, let's get it over and done with. Mum and I prayed. She held my hand. And then I also like when the first needle went in and then I said to her, Hey mom, can you film it for me? Like I, I want, I want to see what's going on. So there's my, my humor coming in at the same time to try and alleviate the pain a little bit. So the results came back. I wasn't paralyzed and the 50% chance, the negative side was you, they can paralyze you from the waist down or the neck down or whatever, because you're dealing with your spinal cord, which runs all the way up to your brain. The worst case scenario would be I would be brain dead or essentially just die, uh, which wouldn't have been good. So that's what I was worried about. But the, the, the procedure was a success, thank God. Uh, and the results came back that I had type B meningitis, which was the viral, which in the worst case scenario, it tends to just subside anyway. But it, I have to get a lot of rest because I'm not out of the woods of getting type A meningitis, which can develop into meningococcal and, and all that if I didn't rest. But thank God I healed fairly quickly after that. You mentioned that you learned something really important from all of these events, obviously. We all do when we face death face-to-face. -face. You came face-to-face -face with it. What did you learn from the experience of meningitis and, and candidly blindness? I mean, you couldn't see during this, this season. It's interesting because in this scenario, especially, and like I was just saying a moment ago, like I was wrestling with that voice in my head, like, 
I believe it was it was God trying to get me to to see that I I needed to trust Him in this scenario. And at that stage of my life, I was actually pretty far away from God. So it was interesting how He was showing up in this moment and how He was just He wanted me to see that I needed to have more faith and trust in Him. And ultimately, I learned the the number one thing that faith is is everything faith is your guiding light faith is is your navigational tool and if you don't have it then you're sort of walking through life a little bit aimless Mm. and this near-death experience taught me to trust god enormously because when you've got your life on the line who do you lean on if you've got no sense of faith whatsoever you've got no no compass no navigational tool you feel worthless you feel stuck and you feel hopeless so for me, having that sense of faith and belief in Christ in that moment and even afterwards with everything else that I do now, it's helped me significantly navigate this ever increasingly darkened world to try and be a light even more. So that's what I would say for this instance in particular. What I really respect about your story is it's not a straight line. Most of ours <laughs> aren't, but so- sometimes once people hit the bottom, they never look back again. And sometimes when you hear stories like that, it's almost hard to relate with because so many of us are doing the ebbs and flows of life. We're, we're high one day and we're low the next. We're in a perfect place. And then like, gosh, it's so dark here. You made it through this meningitis scare. You got the eyesight back. You returned to full health. You found your faith. You lived into it fully. And yet life's not perfect. And it's ultimately going to lead to this jaggedy edge where you're going to find yourself at this fourth near-death experience. And the, the previous three had happened to you, yeah. you know, but, but this is one you chose for yourself. And so I'd like you to share what led up to you being in that vehicle and ultimately what happened. Yeah, this, this one in particular, it, it gets me every time because it was my choice to do what I attempted to do. And it was because that I felt hopeless. I felt that I didn't have a purpose, that I wasn't enough. And that was based around circumstances that had transpired in my life. So the meningitis was November of 2018. We're now in uh, the beginning of 2019 in January. So we ended up losing and having to put down our beloved German Shepherd of 11 years. Um, And that that was heartbreaking. It was gut-wrenching. I had to grieve a lot. Didn't really know how to properly grieve. And not long after that, I had just started in a new career of real estate and I was getting abused. It was like being thrown in the deep end and not knowing what in the world you're, you're going to do. Right. And I, I sank a lot. Being in this really crazy environment and then also not long after starting this, this real estate career, the girl that I had placed my entire worth, my entire identity and my entire purpose into, she ended the relationship. And as a result, I crumbled. I didn't know who I was anymore. I, I was depressed. I was numb to life. And it was interesting because as I'm, I'm going through this, this life, nobody really knew how I was suffering because I suffered in silence for such a long time. 
And there's this, this negative stigma that men can't talk about their mental health. And I didn't want to talk about it. I just wanted to bottle it all down, keep it inside and hope that somehow life would get better. But it, it didn't seem to get better for me because I allowed it to, to, to not get better. It was my, my decision to suffer for that long. And tell ultimately, me, tell me and our listeners what you mean by that, because suffering seems like something that is unavoidable and requires time, kind of. Mm. So when you said I allowed it to and I stayed down there, what, what do you mean by that? There's a man that I spoke to. He goes, Jay, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional for an extended period of time. Like you can make the choice at any moment to get out of that stage of suffering and into a place of peace and, and fulfillment and, and comfort. That's what ultimately I believe that I was able to do, but not just, I chose not to because the suffering and the misery that I was in, it felt comfortable. And all I was doing was running from the pain, but I was getting more and more pain as I was running, which is an interesting phenomenon in reality, because a lot of people are running from the pain and they don't realize that they're creating more pain and more suffering for themselves by running. So it's, it's also interesting because I was scared to actually face up to the pain. I was scared to face up to the suffering that I was enduring because I didn't want to have to go through it anymore. But I was, I was stuck in that, in that spot, which is just, once again, it's very, very interesting how my brain was working back then and how a lot of other people's brains work through this too. Right. And ultimately it led me to saying, you know what? I, I can't get out of this, this place the way that I, I thought, you know, I, there was no other option for me. So I, I just wanted to be out of pain. I wanted to be out of the suffering. And sadly, my, my mental state at the time was like, you know what? I'm just going to end it all. So that's what I did. I, I attempted, I attempted to end my own life and being in that car and speeding up to, to that speed. I didn't want to walk away from, from that car accident. I didn't want to walk away from the wreck. I was, I was set on it that that was it for me. And it was selfish of me to think that because I, I, I didn't think of how it was going to affect anyone else but I'm glad and I'm thankful that God intervened ultimately and he, and he spared me from taking my own life. And I will forever be grateful and forever be thankful to God for giving me my life back and, and saying, no, no, I'm not finished with you yet. What do you think you're doing? I, I'm going to put you on this path. I'm, I'm not going to make you aware of it just yet because I need you to go from here to here right. mentally speaking. And, and so that's what I did. Like I, I remember being in the car and crying out to God and saying, Lord, I need you to give me worth. I need you to give me purpose. I need you to show me where you want me to go and what you want me to do. And I share that, that story in the book too. And months later, that's what he did. For our listeners right now, who are driving down the road of their life, some of them literally, who are looking for worth and looking for purpose and wondering if there's even a reason why they uh, should remain on the road. 
Some of them are struggling with that very same life and death decision that you struggled with that led to your fourth near death experience. What, what encouragement or challenge or invitation would you give them? First and foremost, don't give up because I know that's easier said than done, but trust me, I've been where you probably are right now. It's not fun. It sucks. I know, but we all have a choice in life. And that choice is we can remain stuck or we can go through the pain just a little bit more, but on the other side of going through that pain, there is peace, there is fulfillment, there is purpose, there is worth, there is all these amazing things. It's not going to guarantee you that you won't go through any more pain because you will, but you are strengthening that resilience muscle. You are persevering, which for, for people that are wondering, life is the most precious thing on the face of the earth. And we take it for granted so much. It is amazing how we do that. We, we treat life like it's fickle. Yeah. And ultimately I think, and, and for me, I, that's what I did. And I'm ashamed that I did that because now I realize just how valuable my life is and how valuable your life is, John, and, and whoever's listening to this, your life matters. Your life has meaning. It has purpose. And what I equate purpose to these days is your God-given purpose, which is to be alive and to live this life the best way you possibly can. And what society has told us and what society continues to screw up for us is that they place worth and purpose and identity in what you do rather than who you are. You going through life, going to university, I'm not saying that doing university and getting an education is a bad thing at all, but when you focus your whole life and you put your whole life into just doing that thing, you're going to feel miserable. And when I've spoken with so many people, John, that have told me once they've reached a particular level, they, they think, well, now what? What's next? It's like this constant cycle that they end up in. Gaping. Whereas it's the gaping hole. You need to, I say, you break that cycle by saying, you know what? I am enough right now. I was created with a purpose to live and to be alive. I get to take who I am, my character, my values, my, my, my integrity, my beliefs, all those things into what I do, not the other way around. Because when we serve, when we serve what we, what we do rather than who we are, we're going to feel miserable. We're going to get stuck even more. And life's not going to, to it's not going to be great for us. It's, it's, that's what I realized. And so for me, ultimately, doing what I'm doing today, serving uh, and, and sharing stories and unboxing stories and, and doing all these amazing things, that is living my purpose. And it's, in, it's in action. And I get to take that into what I get to do today, which is just an amazing thing. Well, let's talk about what you're doing today. You lead a podcast, a growing successful podcast. You help unpack stories it began with you kind of celebrating movies and then eventually it shifted into recognizing the power of human beings, the power of their lives, the power of their stories and what it means for us. Tell us who, after your fourth near death experience, who was your first guest as you began to relaunch that, that show? My first guest was actually a good friend of mine. Uh, if you go way, way back to the very beginning, uh, she was a, she's an actress. So we had worked together on a project. I, I had a good conversation with her, but to be honest with you, John, I had no idea what I was doing back then. And 
to be honest with you all again, I, I don't know if I still do, <laughs> um, but I went from, and what I did back then, John was I would write down a bunch of questions and I'd just go off those, those questions. And I was just going to be like every other podcast. I quickly realized that, Hey, that's not going to work well. <laughs> and uh, just decided, you know what, I'm going to be vulnerable and I realized that I could relate to a lot of the stories that my guests were sharing with my own life. And I'm like, if I can relate to someone, then I will be confident enough to actually share that yeah. and vulnerable enough. And my audience, I think, has has connected with that over the years. One thing that amazes me about true pros in this in this industry, whether it's podcasting or television or whatever it might be, is how frequently people just roll through the questions. So I ask you to tell me a story of your childhood and uh, you tell me this wild story about a mother who showed up and the impact she had and, and how she changed her life. And then rather than asking about, tell me more about her, she sounds remarkable. Immediately they shift into, and your favorite color is yellow. Tell me about that. And it, It's unbelievable how we're not listening, whether it's in a conversation or a podcast or one-to-one -one with those around us at the dinner table. I think one of the things that sets your podcast apart is that you do listen and you allow the conversation to go where it naturally is going. So it goes from your friend, this actress, into the next, into another friend, into a neighbor, into a family member. When did you realize that, uh, man, this, this might work? I created a list of sort of like my dream list of people that I would love to have a conversation with. And one of those people on, on the list was Steven Spielberg. I think he was the number one because as a film lover, as a story lover. So I wanted to somehow build up my show to eventually get to speak to Steven Spielberg one day. Um, but I think it, it, it took a while for me to figure out properly my own style. And that style was showing up authentically, being vulnerable enough with my guests showing up with enthusiasm and energy every single time, uh, listening properly to, to all my guests and, and making them feel comfortable right. when they're on my show. It's been an incredible journey, my friend. Share one story that someone shared with you because you helped them unpack their story that, that blew you away. Maybe you weren't expecting it. And then all of a sudden, whether it's Matthew McConaughey or anybody else, they just, boom, they gave you this, this gift of vulnerability. There's been so many of those conversations that I've had with people, but I love having conversations with older people, believe it or not, because I feel, and even going back to sort of being a kid with my grandfather and, and just listening to him. So I kind of resonate with older people a lot. And there's one guy recently that I had on, uh, Marty J. Schreiber. He's an 83-year-old man. He was the former governor of Wisconsin. He looked after his wife, Elaine. Uh, of, they were married for 63 years, believe it or not. She had Alzheimer's and dementia for 18 years, which is not normally common. And hearing his vulnerable take on how he was able to look after his wife, the lessons that he learned as a result of looking after his wife, and his outlook towards gratitude, being so grateful for the life that he has. And his wife recently passed away in April, but he, he was, he was happy. He 
offered me a place to stay if I was ever in Wisconsin. He offered me a meal. He offered me all these things. And I looked at that. I'm like, here is this man that has lived a great life, no doubt, that has lived many, many years. He's got a lot of wisdom and he's sharing it with me. He's being mm -hmm. vulnerable enough to open up about his experiences with his wife. He's, he also told me this, this saying that I'll never, never forget. It actually came from someone else that he learned it from, but he goes, nobody gets out of this alive, Jay. And I'm like, huh, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Once again, valuing life and remembering that, yes, we don't get out of this alive. We're not, we're not going to take anything with us when we die. So what kind of legacy are we going to leave behind? What kind of life are we living now? What kind of leader are we becoming or are, uh, uh, right? So that was like, yeah, it was sort of like this massive moment for me to reflect on the kind of life that I am actually living. Am I giving my best? Am I doing what I can to help others be better leaders? Am I, am I showing up in my family? Am, am I really being true? Am I being honest? Am I, am I someone of integrity? All these things. And that just came from one conversation with Marty, but there's been so many others, my friend, that I can share with you that have just been like that with Marty. Listen, I don't know all the other conversations you've had, but I can't think of one that would have been more favorited by me than the one with Marty for, for a man, not only to become governor of a state, that's a big deal, but for the primary takeaway to be 63 years of, of loving and then the last 18 of serving. And uh, just the impact of recognizing how finite and precious life is. That, that is a beautiful, beautiful share. I, I, I've heard you in several different podcasts quote from Isaiah. Uh, I think it's 40, 31, you quote Isaiah. So chapter 40, verse 31, it's practically a tattoo that you have on your left bicep. Why is that meaningful to you? Isaiah 40 verse 31 is my life verse. So it says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And I have what I call my eagle journals um, that I, I keep very, very close to me all the time. So whenever I have an idea or a thought, I will bring out my eagle journal and I'll write it down. But if I was to break down what this verse says, those who hope, the third word is hope. Hope in who? Don't hope in yourself because you're not going to get anywhere if you hope in yourself. You hope in the Lord and he will renew your strength. So whenever I am down, whenever I am weak, whenever I'm feeling low, if I hope once again in the Lord, he's going to renew my strength. And what is, what is he going to get me to do? He's going to get me to soar on the wings like eagles. And what I realized then is that Life isn't about being stuck on the ground. We weren't created to be stuck on the ground, metaphorically speaking. We were created to soar in the skies, to soar through life in the best possible way. Sure, when we get, when we get knocked down, we need to get back up because when we get back up, we're now stronger for the next time. And I think the best things in life are yet to come, as, as you say, John, as well. And we just go... The more we saw, if you've ever seen an eagle soar through the air before, it is the most beautiful and picturesque thing. I mean, the one of the national symbols for America is an eagle, for goodness sakes. <laughs> like, um, I think I'm speaking to the American people at the moment with, with this eagle analogy. 
But this is what I, what I realized in my own life that I am like the Eagle. I, I don't want to, when I get knocked down, stay down. I want to soar in my life. I want to go through this life the very best way that I possibly can. And for me, I also learned so many, so many examples and, and lessons on leadership too, that I also share in the book, which I think is just really, really profound that you can get all those lessons from an, from an animal. And when God mentions an animal in the Bible, you know, it's important. <laughs> well, the book that Jay is mentioning is called the path of an Eagle. It is out and available everywhere. Jay, we wrap every one of our episodes up with seven questions. They're called the Live Inspired Seven. So uh, my friend from down under, welcome back up here to the States, the home of the bald eagles. Question number one is, what's been the most influential book, most impactful book you've ever read? Well, apart from the Bible, one of my favorite books, I have it up here is Matthew McConaughey's book, uh, Green Lights. Uh, I love that book. It was just so funny. And he also packs a lot of lessons in there too. So, yeah. Awesome. What's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little kid growing up outside of Sydney, Australia, that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Now, this is a good one. Persistence. If your home caught fire and the animals, the family, the roommates, the friends, everybody's out safely and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what's the one thing you would come running back outside with? It's a photo. That's my beautiful dog, Joy, and my, my two brothers. It's a beautiful memory because it's one of our last memories that we've had with her. And then this is the first German Shepherd that we lost, Missy. Um, so I would grab both of these because these memories, they, they're very precious to me. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone living or deceased, who would you want to be seated next to? Is another good one. I'm a huge history nerd. Aside from Leonidas, probably Jesus. <laughs> so many of us recognize the name Jesus, I hope. Not everybody recognizes the name King Leonidas. Who, who is that? So King Leonidas was uh, the king of Sparta. He fought um, the Persians. I think it was the Battle of Thermopylae. It was his courage and the bravery of 300 men too that held back the Persians for a long time. What's the best advice that you've ever received? Don't compromise your integrity for anything because your integrity is everything. It's mm, awesome. Going back a few years, for some of my guests, it means decades. For you, it's going to mean about five. But if you could go back in time and whisper some wisdom to yourself at age 20, what would you advise? What would you say? Don't give up. It's going to be okay. Don't try to end your life. Keep on going. God's got you back. <laughs> Jay Vantum, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like yours to read? He gave God all the glory and he didn't give up. Jay, thank you for giving God all the glory. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for falling all the way down, breaking both wings along the way, and then choosing to rise and soar even higher. Thank you so much for having me, John. Appreciate you enormously. My friends, that is Jay Phantom. He's the author of the new book, The Path of an Eagle. My name is John O'Leary. Today is your day. What a gift. Living spot. 
Well, I want to call out a point Jane made earlier. He said this, society places worth, purpose, and identity in what you do rather than who you are. Man, that's beautiful. I'm going to say that again. Society places worth, purpose, and identity in what you do rather than who you are. It reminds me of my most recent Monday morning motivation. If you haven't listened to it, jump back just one episode. Go way back to episode 493. My friends, our greatest fear should not be whether we climb high enough on the corporate ladder or make the most money. Instead, let our focus be on being fully present. Let us try to connect with those we love. Let us do work that matters and live a life that ultimately impacts others. It's time to recognize that our life is finite and how we choose to spend it matters profoundly. You can learn a little bit more about that by just listening to last week's Monday Morning Motivation. If you enjoyed today's conversation, you're going to love the conversation that I had with Ben Nimpton. Ben is from Vancouver with three friends and a list of 100 things to do before he dies. Ben shares what inspired the quest, its impact, not just on the four of their lives, but on millions around the world, and the steps that you and I can create right now to make our own list and to live it through our lives. It's a great episode. It's one of my favorite, actually. Check it out. Episode 336. If you can't find it there, you can find it online. Go to johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. My friends, I want to thank you for being part of our Live Inspired podcast community. Not only did we enjoy a friend from Australia, but he's got listeners down there who tune into our show. We know that because we're able to track the countries that tune in. And we are now at more than 120 countries tuning in week after week. So whether you're listening right here in St. Louis, Missouri, my home base, or anywhere around the world, we welcome you to our family. We're grateful that you tune in and we remind you, remind you that the foundation is firm. The headwinds may be real, but the best is yet to come. So for this time and until next time, my name is John O'Leary. Today is your day. What a gift. Live inspired. At Kelly Companies, it is no secret that they believe in the power of people. In an effort to help their Keelians get to know each other a little bit better, they decided to launch the Who Do You Know campaign. The goal was simple. Keelians were encouraged to have a conversation with someone outside of their circle. That's it. These conversations, however, have brought people together and farthered their world-class culture. Shout out to the Keelians who have made an effort to have meaningful conversations with new friends. You can learn more about those conversations, about those amazing friends, by visiting them online at keelycompanies.com.